welcome to the Imperfect Parent Podcast, and I'm an imperfect parent. The pressures from all directions to be perfect can be overwhelming. They come from family, friends, social media, and can be very difficult to deal with, especially if you feel like you're on this journey alone. Well, that ends here. You are not alone, and together we will become a village and community by building strong foundations in which the relationships with ourselves and our family can be built on. I'm going to share with you the stories and knowledge of parents, professionals, and authority figures who have been there or have the knowledge, tools, and resources you need to find out what works, what doesn't, and what's next. So let's go. We got this. All right, everybody. Welcome back to the Imperfect Parent Podcast, and I am an imperfect parent on a journey to find out what works, what doesn't, and what's next. Today, we welcome back one of our original guests, Mrs. Katie Tom. And we had to have her back because I was getting request after request of when's Katie going to come back and tell her full story. Mike was on for his full interview. When's Katie coming back? <laughs> so I just absolutely had to have her back. And, you know, she posted some things on social media this past week about a special kind of one year anniversary that I wanted to maybe bring out and share. And then also I have some questions about her job and hopefully she can help some of us. So welcome, Katie. How are you? Good. I'm excited to be here, Dwayne. I think I've told you many times I really believe in what you're doing and I I love the whole theme and, and concept of just the imperfect parent because I think that's the healthy way to go about things is to really just admit to ourselves that like nobody has their crap together. <laughs> <laughs> we're all trying to guess get by one day at a time yeah like do you right before we pressed record there you mentioned a quote do you want to do you want to touch on that little quote because I think that's sure. a, kind of a good fitting place to start actually yeah I, I fancy myself an inspirational quote junkie uh it kind of drives Mike up the wall because like I literally post inspirational quotes up all around our house <laughs> <laughs> nice. and he's just kind of learned to live with it <laughs> But yeah, so today, today, one of the, the quotes that I was really reflecting on was by um, one of my favorite teachers, uh, Dr. Brené Brown. And it was just the idea that comparison is the thief of joy. Yeah, comparison robs us of a lot of joy and connection and just wholeheartedness in our everyday living. And so I was telling you a story about how it took me till age 30 to explore painting. I'd always wanted to try painting. I'm a very creative person, but was always afraid to fail. And yeah, finally took up a course at age 30. And here I am a few years later and I love it. And I'm so happy that I, I took that risk and yeah, stepped outside my comfort zone. Courage is vulnerability and vulnerability is courage. That's another Dr. Brenny Brown quote. So I live my life that way quite a bit. And that factors into how I parent as well. Yeah, for sure. Paint nights. They were such a huge thing before mm -hmm. like the whole pandemic, eh? And now you probably haven't been to one in a year. No, I've been actually, I've been trying to organize like an online thing with one of my friends. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Cause I remember the paint nights were becoming like a pretty big thing and people were like skipping out for date nights and yeah. these painting classes. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. I'd love to get Mike to go sometime. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if he'd go. <laughs> uh, we'll start off with the stick figure course. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. So like I had mentioned in your little intro this past week, you, you've been so like raw and open on your social media, which has been amazing to me. Like some of the stuff that you, you know, well, and you're such a good writer too. So that helps. <laughs> I, I try and like talk eloquently and get these good, nice, beautiful points across and it comes out like blah, blah, blah. <laughs> but <laughs> but you, you have some like excellent way, excellent storytelling skills. 
So over this last year, I've, I've listened to your story and followed your story and, and tried to share a few of your posts because they can make me cry a little bit sometimes, Katie, <laughs> but like not, not bad tears, like inspirational, good tears. Aww. So yeah, like it, it's just been, it's been very cool. And to, and to see, you know, we're really good friends, but we live so far apart that mm-hmm. sometimes all I see is these little glimpses on social media and, and yeah. It's awesome. But anyways, I'll get to my question. <laughs> it, it's been a, it's been a year, a year of yeah. what, Katie? Wow. That almost left me speechless there for a moment. <laughs> <laughs> That's a lot to, like, I, I feel like I could go on and on and on. So on March 4th, it had been about 365 days since I had entered the hospital in 2020. I, I had about a five weeks stay in the inpatient psychiatric ward in in one of the Winnipeg hospitals. I went through uh, nine rounds of electroconvulsive therapy um, and then switched over to ketamine infusion therapy, which is a psychedelic experimental drug treatment in Canada currently. And it was all in the pursuit of healing and wellness because I had come to my limits and was really struggling with really severe postpartum depression and postpartum anxiety. Like if you can imagine what the limits of that look like, that's where I was at. So I posted a picture of the day that I went into hospital and I'm just like completely sheet white, haven't brushed my hair wearing, you know, like just sweatpants and whatever. And it was a really interesting day because we drove to the, to the crisis center in Winnipeg. And I had said to Mike, as we parked, I said, I'm not getting admitted. I'm not here to be admitted. I'm here to get an acute consult with a psychiatrist because the wait lists are so long. And I was like, I need, I need a change in my medication. This clearly isn't working. Sat down with a psychiatrist and he interviewed me like they do a standard clinical interview. And he looked at me and said, do you hear the words that are coming out of your mouth? And I was saying things like, I'm suicidal, but it's okay. I know exactly the time of day I want to die. I know how I'm getting to the location of where I want to die. I know the method I want to die. I've done research into what it looks like. I've done research into the lethality of the, the method. And he echoed those words back to me. And because I had just said, like, I just, I just need to change my meds. I'm fine. I can do this. Even, even with that, even with him, like, being a sounding board for me, I, I still didn't get it. And I think that's just a testament of like, when you're that sick, it's so hard to think clearly. And I I remember vividly waking up in hospital after a, I think it was my fourth or fifth um, ECT treatment and looking at the psychiatric team and saying like, this is deja vu. I went to, oh gosh, it was so freaky. It was like, I said to them, I went to sleep a really good, really affectionate and like wholehearted mom and I'm waking up in a psychiatric ward and I don't understand where I'm, where, where, where I am or why I'm here. And they just looked at me and said, like, you've been under a haze of depression Wow. for like six months. Yeah. It was crazy. <laughs> yeah. Like, uh, unfortunately it, it's more common than most people realize too. Yeah. I think the stat is somewhere between like 10 and 20% of, of women will experience some kind of depression postpartum. What I experienced was a lot less common just because of how extreme it was, but uh, for sure along the spectrum of mood disorders, it's very common in postpartum in the postpartum period. Man, Katie, that's takes such like amazing, amazing strength. And that's why like 
like behind the scenes of you and, and Mike, of course, I'm, I, I won't dig too deep, but like, it's amazing strength just to get to that point and then, and then to commit to, you know, taking that step, whatever that step may be, right? Like just like acknowledging it and being aware of it. But like in that moment, even were you guys even really aware of what was totally happening? Like uh, you say you were kind of in a haze, but you think Mike was almost like too close to the situation as well? Oh, for sure. And that was a part of our story of and, and part of our conversation when I when I was fully admitted and we were kind of processing what was going on. And he was just sitting there like he was so apologetic and just saying, like, I didn't I, I just couldn't see how bad it was because we were just in the thick of it. And I find one of the things that's really interesting about postpartum depression is that it is really hard to recognize simply because the highs and lows of parenting change, you know, with like the flick of a switch in one moment, you know, you're, you're like, so in awe at seeing your kid, you know, say their first word or sit up for the first time, laugh for the first time, or you're just like, even like, I love baby cuddles. Oh my goodness. (laughs) I could soak those up all day long, but you know, you can swing from one of those moments into the next of just like screaming, difficult to soothe kid tantrums, meltdowns, and like you're just at your wits end and and because your resilience is generally low like you can experience these highs but if you don't have like a real strong cup to draw from those lows are going to be really hard to to wander through and um yeah for mike it was just that like he would see these you know he would see these high moments and and think it's okay like she's got her she's got her stuff together we can get through this like I was discharged the first time. So I, I went in March 4th and about two and a half or three weeks later, I was discharged because because COVID was happening and they were trying to get everybody out of the hospital that they could. And a few days later, I had another suicide attempt. And the very next day I was in the yard playing with my kids. We were making snow angels. I was laughing and smiling. And my psychiatrist phoned me that day. And I said, like, I'm doing really well. We were out in the yard playing together. Like we had a super fun time oh, by the way, this happened yesterday, probably thought I should let you know about it, but it's okay. And she was like, I'm going to send the police to your house or you can go voluntarily in patient transport services, but pack your bags, you're leaving now. Wow. Yeah, I'm so fortunate that I had such a, like, that's not always the case in hospitals. You don't always have like a really strong connection with with somebody that can find you answers. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. and I, I, w- I will say like my the, the team that was responsible for my health care, like they went to bat for me time and time again. Like I wasn't even eligible for therapy and they got me in there because they thought it would be unethical for me to go without any kind of rapid response treatment at that time, especially with kids at home. Yeah. So I, I just like for me, that was such a stark contrast of being able to say like I, I posted this picture on Instagram of me playing in the snow with my kids. And that very same day I was in the back of a patient transport vehicle going back to hospital. And like totally pissed off about it. Like, so didn't want to be there. The only reason I went was because I didn't want my kids to see me being taken off in a police Police car. cruiser. (laughs) It sounds so intense, Dwayne, but like, seriously, like, I don't know, man. Like when I, when I was in hospital, I met so many people whose stories go untold. I, I saw so much stigma just outside of me. And then I saw so much stigma inside of me. And I was like, you know what? Like at the end of the day, I am who I am and I just have to own my story. And I know I'm, I'm, I'm headed in the right direction Yeah. and I've got an amazing guy by my side. Like, holy smokes. He used to sit outside because they weren't allowing visitors in the hospital while, while I was there. 
And he would come up in his car and park on the side of the road just so I could see him. He couldn't see me because of the tinted windows, but I could see him and he would talk to me on the phone. Oh. He, uh, he contacted my favorite uh, musical artist and had her send me a voice memo while I was in hospital. Like, I know, you know, he's a great guy, but I'm just telling the rest of the world, like he's a really, he's a really solid dude. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right on. Like, yeah, it, it is intense, Katie. Like you, your story is one of the more powerful ones that is in my close circle, you know, like just to be able to talk with you about it is, is pretty awesome because Aaron had some ups and downs after each one of our kids actually. And yeah, it, it it's just so powerful. <laughs> like it's just, it, it, parenthood is, is messy in the first place. And just to be able to pull yourself through that <laughs> it's no no wonder why there's there's things that happen right like it's just amazing i yeah i think for most of us like there's so many moments where we say i don't know how i'm going to get through this and somehow you do like you you have no idea how you're going to get through it and somehow you do i i told you at the beginning of this i'm i'm a bit of a risk taker not in like a dangerous sense but like I took a two-year-old and a three-month-old on a four-hour airplane by myself. And I was like, this is going to be terrible, but I'm just going to do it because I want to see my family. Yeah. <laughs> I did that on more than one occasion. I took both kids on a flight because I just wanted to see my family. I think every single time it went miserably. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you had you had no reason to do it a second time, yet you no. kept doing it. <laughs> No, and I, you know what I'm doing? Uh, yeah, I'm like, I'm packing the kids up shortly too because we've decided over spring break, they want to go see their grandparents. And so we've decided that Mike's parents are going to be like our bubble family and I'm going to pack the kids up and take them home, you know, on a three hour drive by myself, but like, and it'll be horrible, but we'll get through it. <laughs> yeah. Keep snacks. Yeah. <laughs> Chuckable ones, ones you can just yeah. launch into the back seat. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I just have this sense, like, I, I think I've, I've I, I know where it comes from. And it comes from my, my upbringing. I came up with a family that has a really strong sense of grit. Like, a, my family has experienced their own hardships. And through all of it, really kept focused on what are our core values and, a, and how you pair that with a really strong work ethic. So Again, like I said, there's so many times I, I said to myself, I wrote it in a journal. I said to my care team, I said to my husband, I said to my parents, like, I don't know how to do this. My first, if you want shock value, <laughs> my, uh, my first ECT treatment, I, I was sitting on a bed with Mike and I had been vomiting for about an hour because the, the, oh, what do you call it? The, the sleeping medication that they give you before you take, Anesthesia? before you go under that procedure. <laughs> It had just made me so violently ill when I came out of it. And they also didn't give me any pain meds. So I was vomiting and I and like dry heaving and for an hour and woke up with memory impairments, like didn't know exactly where I was, um, what was going on. Um, I knew who Mike was. I didn't know my name, though. Saw some really scary and weird things <laughs> like in the in the the recovery room. And my whole body was just like writhing in pain because they hadn't given me, given me any pain medication. And so I couldn't even swallow properly because I was in so much pain. So I'm sitting there in my hospital bed um, looking at Mike saying, I can't do this again. I can't do this again. And he said, I need you. I need you to do it. And so I did. And every time I went for ECT, I was sitting in the waiting room crying because I didn't want to do it because it was it was just that difficult for me. 
but I just kept kept going at it for the sake of my family and and mostly for the sake of Mike because I knew at that point like he needed to get better and I I couldn't do it for me but I could do it for him so like for you both did you just did you just lean into each other because it was all during this pandemic too so you you didn't really have like that support system like you guys are you know into you have a very close uh church circle and everybody around you but like were you able to lean into that at all or or was it just you and him so my like a few days before i went into hospital my mom had flown out because i'd been having some conversations on the phone with her and she's like i i need to get out there this is not good so my mom flew out and she helped mike with the kids uh and mike and i i would say leaned on each other a lot we learned it was a really eye-opening experience for both of us and uh we did something really sweet during that time and that is we started a journal and so we were writing each other letters back and forth oh nice like kind of like a co-journal or what because I am who I am. So I had done some research into like suicide intervention and pre- prevention strategies. Cause that's, I just do that kind of stuff like for my job. And <laughs> yeah, so I had found this intervention called caring contacts and just this idea that you can reduce the risk of suicide simply by sending somebody who's struggling, some encouraging notes and affirmations periodically. And so we integrated that into our relationship. And that was really helpful too, because we had been like, I, we've been upfront and open about that too, that we were having a really hard time. We are two people who are very passionate and love each other dearly, but are super different and trying to learn to co-parent together. I had no idea, (laughs) no idea, never had a hot clue how hard that could be like. I don't know when you say your I do is like, you're like, yeah, this guy looks like he's going to be a great dad, but like, sure. He'll be a great dad, but it, you know, are you guys like, how do you fit together as parents? And so that's been a huge part of our journey too, is like really understanding our differences and learning to creatively and compassionately with those. Some of the things there, like they always talk about, you know, co-parenting and, and figuring out what your partner how he's how he's gonna parent or she's gonna parent and will you guys parent like <laughs> yeah. you know will you parent the same blah 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 I didn't know like I had a vague idea of how I wanted to parent but once you're in it that kind of gets all tossed around and upside down like and then then it's how you each deal with it which then breeds how you parent right like so so does that actually mesh (laughs) and that's the trick because there's a lot of things that we figured out Mm -hmm. yeah that we had no idea that's that was how deep our views went you know like once until you're right in it and then you're like i do believe in the odd spanking you know (laughs) (laughs) well and you know Dwayne, it's really it's really insightful that you kind of bring up that kind of line of thinking because when we went into parenting like you know, I was like, Mike's a great guy. I've always, like, he's always been good with kids. But at the end of the day, like, I've been working with kids since I was a kid. Like, I've been working with kids with exceptional needs, without exceptional needs. This is my area. Like, I was born to parent. <laughs> uh, I'm a school psychologist. I've got the educational background. I've got the experiential background. I've got the heart yeah. for it. Like, <laughs> I love being on the floor with my kids, playing with them, doing pretend play, doing sensory play. I'm very intentional about like how I encourage language with them and all this stuff. Right. And so when I got into parenting, I had all these like big, beautiful, bright eyed ideas. And Cameron was you know, like, Cameron's a wild child, but when there's only one of them, it's a little bit more manageable. <laughs> 
But then we had Jeremiah and managing a toddler on top of a, an infant who came into this world with a broken collarbone. So he was born in pain and we didn't catch on until about a week in that he was like squeaking and, and just making all these weird noises because he was in so much pain. And he was so colicky for about the first four months of his life. Oh my gosh, that kid would not sleep. He'd, he would wake six to 12 times a, a night. And and the thing was like, Cameron did that too. And so it, it didn't dawn on me like how unusual that was because I already had a child who was a terrible sleeper. But, at you know, when there's one of them, again, it's a lot more manageable. But when there's two of them and then you add on the colic, like, oh my goodness, I've always been like a really like, I've been a very warm person, very nurturing, very affectionate and attachment theory factors so strongly into all of my parenting. Like I want to provide my kids with a secure, safe base to explore the world from. So, and that starts in infancy, but when you've got a kid who nothing you do can stop their crying and you sit there going, I'm a school psychologist with like I don't know, I've got like seven years of post-secondary education, I think, in child development and psychology. Like I've been working in this field for so long. Like I know kids, if I should be able to figure this out. And it made me feel I, like I just went down the spiral and it's the spiral of postpartum depression where you just really start to believe like I'm incompetent, I'm ineffective, I'm not valuable to this situation. And then, and then like when it gets really bad, th those kind of labels just expand outwards. And I just started really thinking about myself as totally like this ineffective, incompetent and valueless person. And then, yeah, it just kind of exploded from there when it got really bad. Oh, what a, there's there's a really good book on trauma and it talks about how the body keeps store. And so it was interesting in my recovery experience, because even when I was in like a decent place and I'd come like even months into my recovery, Jeremiah would start crying and my nervous system would just become like immediately activated. Just triggered. Yeah. Yeah. And especially around bedtime. And so we actually made a, a, a pact where Mike was doing bedtime for quite a while because I just it just like automatically triggered something in my body that, yeah, was just not good. And I mean, like, there's funny stories around that, like when it gets to like to a more manageable place of, you know, before I think before you started recording, I, I told you about a story where I threw Cameron's bed down the stairs because <laughs> I was done with shared bedrooms. So those are funny stories. And I mean, like, yeah, the end result of that was we built Cameron her own room on the main floor. But yeah, it was just like bedtime is it's stressful, I think, for most parents. But when you're somebody who's dealt with colic and dealt with um really really poor sleepers like it can be it can be traumatic oh yeah like we we hired a sleep coach for our middle one after like eight or nine months of no sleep um Aaron does not deal with no sleep very well <laughs> I can do it a little bit better or I used to be able to do it um but then it was like oh, okay we gotta figure out how to do this or whatever and then it's a funny story about Joe uh, when she was getting ready to, well, we thought she was ready to move into a big girl bed. So we moved her out of the crib. We sold the crib the next day in a garage sale. And then three days later, we bought another one at a garage sale and brought it back home, <laughs> set, it, set it up. And we're like, nope, we're not doing that again. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so, yeah. And then she stayed in a crib for another like six or seven months or eight months after that again it was like no we need sleep like if, oh. you know you weren't ready for no sleep there yet yeah so. it's so tough because like there's 
And that's the thing with parenting is like, there's all of these expectations and there's all of these shoulds and you like, there's so much comparing that happens. And, you know, you see one person doing one thing, you're like, oh, like we should be there already. And then, yeah, you sell the crib and you're like, oh no, yeah, yeah. It's all, it's all a lot of our parenting style is strictly survival. <laughs> yeah. And, and, you know, these habits that they have, like some of these sleep habits are talking, oh, they haven't said enough words by this age. Or, mm-hmm. I, I'm pretty easy about that. Like if there's not an absolute definitive answer, like, yes, there is a problem here. If it's just kind of slower than normal, let it go. <laughs> like just They'll get there. They'll catch up. Like um, I hate rushing into it when they're like two years old or three years old. And it's like, they're still just growing, like just in, encourage their growth. And I was just going to say, so I, I kind of like when I describe myself as a parent uh, or as a parent to people, I, I say I'm somewhere in between like Pinterest mom and hot mess mom. And some days when you see me, I'll be like, you know, doing the sensory boxes with kids and like on the floor and looking awesome. And then another day, like you open my van door and it is, it's an explosion of like McDonald's wrappers and like old clothes and who know like oh I've had some embarrassing play dates <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> where somebody offers to come like help you get the kids out of the car and you're like no 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 nope, nope, <laughs> <laughs> don't see my van of like <laughs> <laughs> yeah park around the corner from the yeah. play date house <laughs> <laughs> Um, but like with, so when Cameron was born, like I went full blown, like she was six months old and we were like doing our own DIY, like sensory boards that I'd made her and like these sensory blankets I'd made her and all kinds of things. Like I I did so much painting with her from like, I don't know, like four months old where she would just like, literally like, just like tap the page. And I was like, Oh, this is so special. Look at her. Right. Yeah. And, uh, I don't know if I would have done those with Jeremiah had I not been sick, but like, yeah, second time around, I was so much more easygoing. And just this idea of like, you don't have to, like, you don't have to do those things. I, I think it's really important to be authentic in your parenting. So understanding what's important to you, what your strengths are and what your challenges are. And then like working with those skillfully. You even said like your core values are one of the things that you guys leaned on. Like, there you go. Like pick your core values and, and, and go from there. If you keep on holding on to that, you should kind of be able to have an answer to. <laughs> yeah. And that's like when I'm scrolling social media now, like, and I, I've used the term. I know they're probably not like this in real life, right? But we always put people on pedestals. So I like, I, I just call them like the Etsy moms with the Gerber babies. And like I said to you before, like when we, when I see these posts now, I just say like, oh, good for them. Like I'm not an Etsy mom with a Gerber baby. I don't think I own any clothes off of Etsy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I think the closest thing we have is a, a sweat. There was a really beautiful sweater that Aaron knit for Cameron. It was, yeah, it was so cute, <laughs> but uh, that's yeah, just not my tribe. Like, and that's another thing I've learned is like being able to say that, like, it's okay if you don't fit in with this group of moms. Like I've been to, I've been to before COVID, we had been doing so many play groups and, we were always out of that, like up and out of the house doing activities. Cause I'm just like, I'm a more of like a high energy, restless kind of person. So we needed to be out and about doing things. And we would go to some play groups and I would feel so anxious. And so like, like people were judging me and judging my kids. And then you would go to others where like, 
would be like, this is my jam. Like, these are my mamas <laughs> who get my kids. And I would like, I mean, like when I look at you and Aaron, I'm like, you, you guys are our tribe. You guys get us, you get our kids and you appreciate our kids. Right. Like, and that's, yeah, I, I was just said, I was doing a, a play group a few weeks ago and that same thing of like, I, I can't relate to these moms. I don't understand the challenges that they're going through and that's okay. Like no, no fault of their own, but it's just, you don't have to belong everywhere. Like you, you just need to find your tribe and love them hard. Sorry. I'm going to ch- change it up here a little bit. Like, what do you, what are you finding at work at the schools that you work in? Like, how has this all been now that you've been back in school and like, we're almost going for a full when to school end in June. So yeah, there's a couple more months left to school. And then that's kind of a full year of school. How did ever, how's everybody doing? So I would say like when in the fall, when school was just starting to get back going, like there was, there was a lot of anxiety about what that would look like, especially among staff and parents. Like when I was walking into schools, there was generally like just crowds of parents standing outside, like all, and it was weird because they were all physically distant. So then it looks like there's even more people there. (laughs) (laughs) And like, and it was just like, it was such a weird scene too, because like, instead of going through one set of doors, you've got like, you know, you've got five or six set of doors, kids going into the class, like gyms that are made into classrooms. Um, At one of my schools, there were 70, 72 desks in a gym and they had, and like, I don't understand how teachers and teach in that kind of situation. I would say like for kids, it's probably quite a bit of anxiety, but for the most part, like most kids are pretty resilient. So they might for the that initial kind of phase be on edge and trying to figure out like, you know, new systems, new protocols, not being in the same classroom as your friends, um, not being able to like have recess with your friends. But for the most part, kids like when they're provided with a sense of routine and predictability and clear expectations, like they can settle in pretty quick, generally speaking. And so what I've really advocated to parents and to the staff that I work with is that when we're going through uh, uncertain times, especially like what we're dealing with now, where there's like just a whole collective sense of, of anxiety around the whole entire world. And it's perpetuated in the news, the media, um, and you know, you just turn on the radio and yeah, like, like everywhere, you, everywhere you turn, every, every place you go, there's just that, there is just that sense of uneasiness. Yeah. 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 And one of the big things when you're, when you're going through like a period of unease or anxiety or just trauma or crisis or whatever, what kids need from adults most is a calm, consistent present presence. That's their present. <laughs> yeah. Um, so the biggest thing that adults can do is to focus on how they're maintaining their own sense of self-care, which is really difficult in what we're going through. Like I've seen some really funny memes where like teachers are literally like drowning in like a sea. And then there's like, you know, some like consultants who are like, make sure you practice self-care. And they're like, in what? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But like self-care can mean so many different things. Like making your bed. I find making my bed every day is actually like, it changes how I feel about my bedroom and just creates a more welcoming space. Being a lot more conscious about sleep hygiene, being conscious about stuff like substance use um, and substance misuse. Like when you're getting into patterns of, of coping and numbing and just being cognizant of that and what is a healthy lifestyle for you. And like, especially with the, with the whole pandemic lifestyle is like, 
boosting social connections where you can, because loneliness and isolation are huge risk factors for, um, for mental health problems and for like a whole host of negative outcomes, even health problems, like physical health problems. Yeah. Physical health problems. Like, like I physically miss my buddies. Like I really do. (laughs) You know, I, I keep saying to, I keep saying to some of my, some of my close contacts, like it is weird how desperately I want to hug somebody like who's not a family member. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like this, these zoom calls are fine. I can see your smiling face, but I just want to hug Katie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'll be like the first one out at like Portage in Maine with like a, one of those free hug shirts. At the end of this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. Then Michael will really be like, Oh dear. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Consistency routine. Like I, I love those. I love those things. And that's one of the things that we've kind of been really trying to find like we're a year into this and and I don't even know if we've really found the routine and the consistency that we want because some like it changes and yeah so we've we've found definitely some of the morning things that I need to do to be ready and that Aaron needs to do to be ready and then if some of those get mixed up, then the kids, then you'll see results in the kids not being where they need oh, to yeah. be by the time we're all supposed to start our day, you know? Like, yeah. So well, and it's like this whole, this, this whole pattern of like kick the cat. So if like mom and dad are grouchy, then like, they're not, they're, they're not bringing their A game with their parenting. Nobody's bringing their A game with parenting, but like, you don't want to bring, be bringing like your, you know, X, Y, Z parenting. Like let's at least aim for like C level. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like Mike and I worked out something too, like co- working from home with COVID has actually been really helpful because mornings were the most stressful part of my day with the kids, mornings and bedtimes. Cause I, I was doing both of those on my own. Yeah. Um, so he right now helps me out with the kids in the morning. Like he'll help come um, get them breakfast, get the help, get them dressed and out the door. And just that little bit. Yeah. It puts me in a much better mood. I'm more likely to be on time, more likely to have like all my stuff organized and and a half decent start as you're walking out the door. <laughs> yeah. 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 And you're not like leaving for work, super grumpy. And <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can. And that's the thing too, is like finding a way to enjoy your kids. So a big, big thing. I'm also um, a strong advocate for in my work is that relationships are the agent of change. I think Dr. Bruce Perry, who's a trauma specialist said that you can like, I can throw so many different like fancy techniques or like books or you know really articulate pieces of advice at people in in my line of work but at the end of the day like if your relationship with your kid is really struggling those techniques aren't going to get you very far that's where i I, I, again i'm just really passionate about um, attachment theory and being that safe base for your kids and you can do that through lots of different avenues um I've started doing special play with my kids every night, which has been really like, it's actually really nice for my own mental health. And it's really nice for them because they get one-on-one time with mom where like mom is just, I was going to ask, is, is it one-on-one like you and one kid or you yeah. and just both of them? Yeah. Me and one kid and it's nice. all child led. Yeah. Like they're, they're picking the activity and all I'm doing is kind of reflecting back what I'm seeing and I'm offering them, you know, every now and then bits of like what I call strong praise. So And I do this throughout all of my parenting with them. So strong praise is instead of just saying like, oh, cool, or like, great job, you tell them what they did specifically. So you give them a description um, of what they did and why it mattered. So I'm trying to think of an example of that. Like, 
today Cameron tried to help Jeremiah. I don't know, he got like upset about something. And she came over and tried to give him a, a teddy bear and like tried to rub his back. And so I had just said to her, Oh, thank you so much. That was such that was so helpful to Jeremiah that you um, you know, brought him a teddy bear that was really kind of you and you helped him feel better in this moment. You know, you were a really yeah. good big sister. Instead of just saying, Oh, thanks, Cameron, that was nice. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. So it, it gives her an understanding of like, yeah, like what exactly she did that was nice about that interaction. And it just what that does is it just reinforces that behavior. But it also like it builds a bridge with your kids, too, because they feel seen and they feel like validated and, and held. Yeah, the, we're having troubles with the with the middle one actually being seen because <laughs> because <laughs> yeah. our oldest one is like um, a bigger energy. Mm -hmm. oh we know <laughs> and, that <laughs> and and always has been so she so the our middle one has like always kind of been in her shadow and now that now that she is the middle one of course the young one takes a lot of attention too so I definitely have to get a lot better at focusing in on her her stuff I'm still figuring out everybody's love language here Katie so <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, oh yeah well and that's the thing too is like kids aren't all the same right like oh no Cameron Cameron would have these like when she was little she would she would well she was still to this day like has explosive emotional outbursts like she's so loud and so passionate we call her like highly uh, highly perceptual and highly sensitive <laughs> but the thing is like she's so easily soothed whereas Jeremiah like when he gets upset, he blows, but he's really hard to, to settle and to that's bring back. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and it's re like it, that takes a toll on you as a parent of, yeah. Like just trying to figure out what does my kid. I'm trying mean? to be nice here. Would you just, <laughs> be, would you just accept my love? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, and like, and being kind and gentle with yourself, like self-compassion is so important for parents. One. So one of the parenting differences that Mike and I had was over screen time. And when Cameron was a baby, like, I kid you not, if a TV was in, like, on in a room that she was in, like, I would, I would shield her from it. Like, I wouldn't even let her, like, turn her face. Like, I, I would get so offended when people would, like, bring out a tablet or, like, just because I was, like, I, I, I'm not starting this with my kid. And I just didn't want to go down that road. And, like, here we are with, like, Jeremiah, who hasn't even hit two yet. I know what the guidelines are, but they probably get, like at least an hour of screen time sometimes like way more of screen time a day and part of me feels really yucky about that because I have other friends who like their kids never get screen time or maybe get it like you know a few times a week yeah but for us like that was something I had to give on and uh I don't think I don't think I would go back um I would definitely like them to have less screen time but I'll give you some information about our family here so, not like personal or anything but <laughs> so Mike and I have schedules that conflict and we rarely have time where we get to cross over and like actually see each other connect and like where you know you, you don't have kids like screaming and running and crawling all over you yeah so at bedtime um when we put jeremiah down at seven o'clock cameron gets um a few episodes of paw patrol so that mike and i can like have some quality face-to-face -face time to like actually see our spouse and so yeah. sometimes we read a book together sometimes we just watch like tiktok videos together and laugh but like that's been really important for our marriage is to actually have time where you see each other. Yeah. And like you said, even if it is just to be in each other's space, 
without the yelling in the other ear or the or the mom or the dad the dad mom dad you know just to have that that time with each other is is tricky yeah (laughs) but imperative (laughs) yeah oh for sure completely yeah and and then just also being able to like have the grace for yourself of saying like i i want my kids to have the best for me and right now that means i need a break from them um and so like today we were just having like an off day grouchy kids so i'm like they probably got like four hours of tv maybe like i don't i lost count (laughs) but like yeah and just understanding like we will have quality moments sometime today and maybe if it's a really bad day we'll like save it for like um tomorrow we'll have our quality time but yeah yeah, like that's the the grace and the self-compassion in parenting is you got to have that. Just be easy on yourself. If if today didn't go well, chalk it up as whatever and move on because, <laughs> you know, like the, tomorrow's another day. <laughs> yeah. And there are like, I don't, I, I don't have a dad experience, but I know from like a mom experience, like we have such high expectations for ourselves and like, you know, rightfully so we've got these tiny little vulnerable beings who you like love beyond any kind of fathomable description (laughs) and you're trying to you're trying to give them the best life possible and that is really freaking hard (laughs) oh yeah yeah people tell you parenting is hard and like you don't have a hot clue until you like become a parent yourself and I like now that I'm a parent I look back on all these like meetings that I had before I had kids where I would be like I know it's really (laughs) hard but like when your kid's tantruming, just like take a deep breath. And I'm like, oh my, oh my word. Like there have been moments where like, yeah, like when Jeremiah had, when he, his colic was really bad. And I like, uh, I, there, I remember one day I just had to like put him in his crib and say to myself, I'm going to go downstairs, make myself a latte. And I'm going to drink that latte. And then I'm going to come back and try again. Yeah. And there was another day where the kids were being like, they were just having a really rough day and I yeah, just put the TV on, locked myself in the bathroom. Like they were all safe, Yeah. <laughs> um, but I locked myself in the bathroom and like just blasted the radio for like five minutes until I could be like, okay, I can do this again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Sometimes me and Aaron look at each other and we're like, uh, are you good if we just let this happen for the next few yeah. minutes? <laughs> Like I, I'm in, I'm on, I'm in my good ignore zone. Like I can, I can deal with this. Let's just let it happen. And uh, I'm going to go into my safe spot here. Yeah. <laughs> we'll come yeah. back and try this again in two minutes. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Totally in agreement with you about how important like grace and self-compassion are as a parent. Um, and, you know, when kids see that from us, they see that it's okay for them to be that too. So they, first of all, like, um, they, in our, in our house, we do this thing where we tell kids, we tell our kids, it's okay. It's okay to have any emotion. It's okay to be angry. It's okay to be sad. It's okay to feel bored. It's okay to feel tired or cranky or hungry. All feelings are welcome in this house. Um, but it's what you do with those emotions that matter. So when, when us as adults are having emotions, um, you know, we don't want to, I don't want to express them in such big ways that it's, it's scary for the kids. Uh, Cause in my postpartum, I have seen that happen too. And that was, that's been a really, yeah, that was, it was just a really unfortunate experience of that, of that, but fortunately we're also through that, but yeah, they can see that mummy can be scared or mummy can be tired, can be sad, but mummy does things that are healthy for her when that happens. So 
Um, when I'm sad, I, I like to get a hug. When I'm angry, I like to take a deep breath and get a drink of water. And so like, I'll give, I give my kids that language of like, I'm feeling tired right now. <laughs> it's so funny because Cameron, Cameron now equates me being tired with coffee. <laughs> so, <laughs> so she'll walk up to me and she'll be like, mom, you need more coffee. <laughs> or she'll like come up to me and like knock on my brain and be like, wake up brain. <laughs> yeah. But it, it's really interesting because by modeling that for kids, they see that like it's okay to have feelings, but it also gives them the language uh, and the tools to to know what to do with those feelings when they when they happen so that they're not so overwhelming. Because when you're when you're a tiny person like, you know, oh, what was our Cameron couldn't find her like the blue story nursery book for bedtime today. And it was like the uh -oh. end of the world. Like yeah. we have a bazillion books, but because we could not find that one book, like her world was over. Mike, go find the blood. <laughs> oh man, did we, I searched for it. And uh, yeah. <laughs> oh, I hate those moments. But uh, <laughs> what we talked about too, like, you know, it's nice to have plans, but sometimes plans change and we need to come up with a new plan. And it's okay to be sad about that, but mommy's here with you to figure it out, figure out the new plan. Um, and if you're sad and need help, like you can come get a hug. Here's a snack. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, have pocket snacks ready to yeah. go. Yeah. <laughs> in our in our family too, we we we've adopted a language to, um, and this comes from like more attachment theory kind of stuff of of just. Um, how you turn towards each other and and noticing the bids of connection and and what what the other person is seeking from a connection and so like and that's kind of going back to what you were talking about with like love language and stuff like that like so i'm i'm highly verbal and um mike is not <laughs> <laughs> so um he's learning to talk more and i'm learning to talk less <laughs> um and with our kids like oh my word cameron oh my gosh, that kid never stops talking. Like every, every night at bedtime, it's an hour of her. Like oh, you don't oh, even oh, have oh. to be in the room. She's just like talking to herself, telling stories and like making up little skits and plays and singing songs. But, uh, but like when it comes to what she needs is she needs a lot of like verbal affirmation, reassurance. And um, she's also highly affectionate, which is nice because she likes hugs and snuggles, especially when she gets scared. It's it's a whole mishmash of things. And and I, I like what you said before, too, about like how, you know, it's really important for kids mental health that they have a sense of consistency and routine um, and, you know, that there are rules in the house. Um, and we can think of that as being like super firm and, um, you know, unloving. But really, that's not what it is. Kids, kids feel safe when they know what to expect, when their world is predictable and it makes sense to them when I talk about like boundaries and rules and all that stuff, it's not like this hard line. Um, there is a line there, but you like you as a parent are offering a sense of warmth and empathy and some flexibility around all of that as well. Like it's not, you know, parenting isn't being a robot by any means. Um, anyways. Well, like I know, especially with when I was working shift work, if our normal days were going fine, like our, we're both going to work in the morning, coming home at night, but then I throw in a night shift in the middle of that. Mm -hmm. Not only do I get all mixed up, but the, like everybody else is off too, because you know, they just, they can pick up those feelings from, okay, well, dad's all messed up and he's not, he's not comfortable in this, in this yeah. right now. And so 
I, I totally believe that the kids need rules just to have that comfort and that stability. Yeah. None of us, none of us do. And that's kind of what we're feeling now is that none of us, you know, especially as adults, we're getting really fatigued by this like pervasive sense of uncertainty and uh, yes. chronic anxiety. Somebody, when I became a parent, gave me a really good piece of advice. And it was just the sense that just when you think you've got it figured out, it will all change. <laughs> and I think that like, I feel like that piece of advice um, is really magnified in the lifestyle that we're living right now, because it's like from one moment we're living with like code red, then we're code yellow and nobody really knows what any of this means. And like, we're, we're all trying to figure out a new land and a new normal in something that is totally not normal. Oh, for sure. Like I, I barely figured out the rules from the last like yeah. announcement <laughs> yeah. and now we got a new announcement. What? what? Yeah. <laughs> like I, yeah. Stopped, I stopped listening to the news. I'm just going about my business. Yeah. I know, and so, I know I'm supposed to wash my hands and I know that, you know, we've obviously tried to adapt a little bit like with online yeah. grocery pickups and we kind yeah. of limit our contacts and whatever, which is getting pretty old. But other than that, I kind of got my safety rules in my mind that I need to obey, <laughs> like stay safe. And, and I'm just rolling with it now. <laughs> yeah. And I, I think like for every single parent out there, regardless of what, um, regardless of the kids that you have, um, regardless of the background that you come from, it's just important to stay flexible and manage your expectations. Um, Cause just like, seriously, like just when you think you've got it figured out, it all changes. And that's a really like you can live with that and say like that sounds really awful and unnerving and frustrating or you can you know recognize how if everything were always the same life would be really boring yeah exactly that almost goes back to the safe routines then yes it's all going to change but but you can still have those little things mm -hmm. in your routine that kind of bring you back to where you need yeah. to be you yeah. Know? And that's that safe base, that sense of continuity in all of this, like in all of the upheavals and all of the changes. The things that, that you can control in your situation, like yeah. get those nailed down so you can like come back to them and yeah. let the world change minute to minute. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I have this really great info infographic that I was using in the fall about how like there are things that we can't control, like the politics that are happening in the States, <laughs> um, how much toilet paper there is in the store, um, et cetera. Like all these like awful things going on in the world around us, or um, you can focus on things like how, what kind of media content am I consuming? Hopefully you're listening to this podcast. <laughs> yes. Yes. There we go. Yeah. Good, good rather call. than like uh, some news that is, is really starting to, to impair your mental health and things like, you know, how you, how you spend certain parts of your day. So I shared before that, like a few months ago, um, I decided, Mike and I decided that I, I really, it was really important for me as, and it was part of my authentic parenting that I wanted one-on-one -on -one time with Jeremiah before he went to bed. Um, so I've been doing special playtime with him and it's been so good for me. Like we do, and it's 15, sometimes it's like five minutes. It's five to 15 minutes every night, well, most nights where, yeah, I just have that one-on-one -on -one time with him. I chose to do that and I found a way to do it. And I, you know, like that's one little part of my day that I had control over and it's been lovely. Katie, you're awesome. Thanks. <laughs> thanks for coming back. <laughs> do, do we, do we keep talking? Cause I can talk to you all night, but like, 
for the audience, this is a late interview for us. Like it's yeah. like 20 oh. to 10, 20 to 10 for us old parents. <laughs> I haven't even been watching the time. Wait, yeah, you're just I, so I easy to wanna... talk to. <laughs> I know it's, it's so great, Katie. Like, um, yeah, I just love how open you are, but also I love your education part of it because you, you have some theories that are backed in like science and research and you know so some so to hear you tell me things has a little more uh yeah just has a little more to it <laughs> well, thank you well I yeah. you know like seriously all the stuff that I, I I I always say I practice what I preach so I interact with all of the theories and and kind of knowledge base that I, I bring to the table like I I don't I don't bs people I don't talk about stuff I don't believe in so I don't know if it's everyone's cup of tea, but it's definitely my cup of tea. And <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and and to still be learning from the from the parenting side too, right? Like, yeah, I have all this knowledge, but uh, I'm still learning over here. <laughs> oh, I, I'm I'm just trying to figure out preschool. Like, people are talking like they're like, oh, wait till Cameron gets to adolescence because she's she's just this like sassy, like fiery little kid, right? And I'm like, I I can wait. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I'm trying to figure out preschool. Like I, I feel like, yeah, <laughs> it's our, a life. It's a lifelong learning experience with, with our girls for age four to five was, was, uh, <laughs> tough. <laughs> oh, you're giving me so, things. Yeah. You're giving me things to look forward to. <laughs> oh man. And then, yeah. And then our other friend Regan, he's got three teenage girls. <laughs> and so, so I've kind of like been following his lead and so, yeah, it's interesting to talk to him. <laughs> <laughs> Katie, this has just been absolutely awesome. And I'm so glad you came back on. Um, yeah, well, thanks for having me. Yeah. And uh, I think I, I said this when Mike was back, too, that we're going to have you guys on as regular guests. <laughs> and, so maybe some night I'll get Aaron on here and we'll have like a little. Uh, oh, that would be awesome. Yeah, we'll call it a little therapy session for us or something. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I think so. We could. Well, we all learn so much from each other. Yes. Yeah. And that and that's the key. Like there is, you know, there is the Pinter, the Etsy moms with the mm -hmm. Gerber babies, but there is also those parents that, you know, have the things or have a winning strategy that mm -hmm. you're like, oh. I, I like that. I think, I think I'm going to steal that. I'm going to use oh, that yeah. one. But then, you know, our parents grew up in a time where, well, I grew up in a small little town. So the whole town raised me, right. Where me and Aaron have raised our kids, not in a village, that's for sure. Mm -hmm. Like without that big group of people raising your kids. Mm -hmm. So, so to find those little nuggets is off of Facebook or social media yeah. or, or friends that you get to see once in a while, you know, like, mm -hmm. which is unfortunate, but it, I think it was easier to find those things that worked back when the villages were raising the kids. Yeah. Well, I think that like Dwayne, that kind of goes back to what you're doing with the show too, is just that like, it, it's so much more relatable um, when people are professing that like, you don't have to, be perfect to be a parent in fact like it's better that you admit that you're not I think people really appreciate like the realness of that you just bring to the table and I I, I like I know you guys in your personal life and I've always appreciated that about you and Aaron but uh, just being able to advocate that message to a larger audience about wholehearted parenting yeah there we go we'll we'll tag that as a new one yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> All right, Katie. I absolutely love you. Thank you very much. Oh, and, we love uh, you too, Dwayne. <laughs> yeah. Have a good night. Thanks. You too. Bye. All right, everybody. Thank you for making it to the end. I super appreciate each and every one of you who listens. I hope you get as much out of this adventure as I do. Remember to hit that subscribe button, and if you could leave a rating and a review, that would be awesome, because it helps the show reach more parents who may just need to hear this. Then head over and join the Facebook group, type TIP Podcast in the search bar. This is where we will build our community and share our stories so we can learn from each other and not feel all alone, but receive support and encouragement to embrace being perfectly imperfect. Thanks so much, everyone. We got this.